the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions. I'll do the best I can. Now, we've had some pretty good questions sent in to us, but we'd prefer your phone calls. Please call us at 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, I always remind you the safest way to call is use the free KSLR uh, app with your hands-free feature on your cell phone. You can just hit one button. Call now. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. Tonight I'm going to be teaching in Isaiah chapter 41. I'm going to go through chapter 42 verse 12. Uh, tonight we see Jesus in uh, all of his glory. That's what we saw the last time in chapter 40. Uh, but uh, we see him Uh, Today, sort of calling people into his courtroom. Those who oppose him, if you've got unbelievers that you've been praying for, uh, this would be a great Bible study. That's tonight at 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. You can watch it at calvarysa.com and catch the live stream as well. Okay, let's get right to questions. Oh, and tomorrow's Thursday. That means Paula will be uh, live in studio with us. Uh, Ladies, it's a day that we set aside especially for you. So uh, tomorrow, Paula will be here. My first question is from Kirby from our email inbox. Um, In my 1984 NIV, Psalm 106.20, the word glory is capitalized. Is that a reference to Jesus himself? Is this messianic uh, passage pointing to the cross when the Jews gave up Jesus to be crucified? Um, Kirby, a couple of things about capitalization. Let me read the passage real quickly. I'll go back one verse. It says, at Oreb they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glory, capital G, for an image of a bull which eats grass. Now, this is Hebrew poetry. Um, uh, In Hebrew, there's not going to be the same thing as true in Greek, even to a, a greater extent. Uh, There's no capitalization. But this is a reference not to Jesus uh, in the flesh as we see Jesus, but Jesus as the glory of God in the pillar of fire by day and the pillar of fire, or the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. Uh, As soon as Moses was gone, as soon as Moses was uh, on the mountain with with the Lord for 40 days, um, they started worshiping or fashioning this uh, this golden calf. And God simply say, 
Uh, you, you heard my voice on that mountain. You saw my glory lead you out of Egypt. And you exchanged that for a calf, for an image of a bull. And the idea there, of course, is that um, they made the wrong choice. Obviously, they made the wrong choice. Now, we know that. But I think the import for us, Kirby, is that there are so many times, there are so many times when we, these thousands of years later, do the same thing. Now, we're not making images of gold and we're not worshiping and bowing down to them. But we exchange worldly things for a relationship with God. We'll do what we want because what we want makes us happy. And um, we forget the glory that God has given us. It's one of those traits of humans that has never changed. I'm going to say tonight in my Bible study, we always need to remember that what happens to Israel in the physical realm happens to us in the spiritual realm. And it's entirely too true, uh, Kirby, that we are often casting God away, our relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, casting him away uh, for um, things that we want to do. I've seen uh, women uh, make choices repeatedly, tired of being alone. They'll choose a man on earth uh, over their relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, I've seen men do the same thing. I've seen uh, businesses become idols. I've seen hobbies become idols. And somehow we forget all about God. And we've done the same thing for a vastly inferior image. We've thrown away the glory of God. Let's go to Flatonia, Texas, and talk with Calvin on line one. Calvin, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, yeah, I'm just calling. I don't know. I'm just asking the question. Uh, some donkeys have a uh, like a cross on the back, and they say that this was because Jesus rode on a donkey. Uh, I'm just asking. I don't know. I'll hang up and let you let you answer. Thank you, Calvin. Um, I think the cross has far more to do with their anatomy than certainly than it does with Jesus riding on the on the donkey. So uh, there's no connection between those two things. And Calvin, as as it sounds like you already are aware, um, we need to be very very careful of spreading tales like that because uh, there's simply no connection to those two things. So thank you very much for calling. First time we've heard from you that I can remember. So. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for calling. Let's go to Seguin and talk with our friend Ruben. Ruben, we've been missing you. Where you been? Hi, God bless you, Pastor. Um, I've Thank been, you, Ruben. I've been here. I, I've been here um, just going through some stuff. And, you know, uh, just when I thought I, you know, I had uh, conquered everything or just, you know, obtained what I was looking for. You know, it just seems that, you know, just things just come crashing down, you know, and, and, and I'm just, I'm holding on by a string, by a very thin string right now, and I'm just holding on to all that I have in my faith in God, and just know that God, I know that He's going to take me out of it. I know that He is. I mean, I know that He is. I don't feel His presence anymore like I think I should. I pray to him every single day. And I'm just like, God, why don't I feel you? Why? And then I was reading today uh, Hebrews 6, 4, 5, and 6. Oh, my goodness. And then, and I, I don't know if I just allowed the enemy just to mess with my mind because I'm already in a you know, uh, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with what yep. that is. It, it talks about it's hard to bring back a person who, the way that I understood it, you know, a person like me that once knew the things of God but turned away. <laughs> you know, it's impossible. And then I'm like, Lord, is that true? Is that me that you're talking about? <laughs> and I'm so just like... God, please, because I need you. I need you. You know, because right now I'm just going through a very difficult 
time in my physical body and in my emotional state, and I'm just, Lord, I need you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I need prayer. I need prayer. And can you explain to me what Hebrews 6, 4, 5, and 6, is it pertaining to me? I mean, yeah. tell me the truth. Is it pertaining to me? I don't have a radio, so I'm going to have to stay online. Okay, Ruben. Thanks a lot. Just uh, listen quietly, but, but really soak this in, because uh, if, you'll, if you'll receive this, um, uh, I think it will encourage a great deal. And by the way, uh, if you have access to a computer, um, I know you can't get out, but, but watch the message tonight, because I'm going to deal with some of these very issues about, about the ability of God to keep his promises about all of the things that God does for us. Now, the first thing I want to say before I talk about Hebrews is um, you said just when you thought that you conquered everything, Reuben, part of our Christian walk is understanding that we're never going to conquer everything. We're never going to conquer everything. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That doesn't mean circumstances are going to, to change. It doesn't mean that that uh, we're suddenly going to wake up and all of our problems are going to go away. In fact, just the opposite is true. And you and I have talked about this in another context before, but you've got an enemy who's stirring the pot and he's doing everything he can to disrupt you as you have made this move to want to get closer to the Lord. Um, It can't be based on emotions. It can't be based on how you feel. It's got to be based on what you know. And Jesus has told you, has he not, that he will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus has told you that he holds you in his hand and no one can snatch you from his hand. And if you understand those things, then you don't even have to wonder if Jesus has left you. It doesn't matter whether you feel him or not. You know because the word of God says so, and because you believe, you have faith in the in the veracity of the word of God, um you know that he's holding on to you. And regardless of how you feel, it really doesn't matter how you feel, God never changes. He cannot lie. He always keeps his promises. And those are promises, uh, Reuben, that that uh, he makes to you, he makes to me, uh, and they depend n- on, on nothing at all. They depend on on how we feel or on our circumstances. Now, I also told you this before, and I will get to Hebrews in just a moment, but um, at times when God seems silent, it's in those times when we're going through a maturing process. It's in those times where God is basically putting his arm around us and saying, hey, I got you, but it's time to grow up. Time to stop depending on feelings, or it's time to stop looking at circumstances it's time to trust the promises God has made. And um, if we understand that, then feeling him or getting goosebumps uh, has no value. And in fact, if you're honest with yourself, a lot of those times when you felt the presence of God in the past or when you've had goosebumps or however that manifests in your life, um, it turns out that that wasn't really God at all. You know, there's times when God will speak to my heart and I'm sure it's him and I'll find out later it's not him at all, but it sure felt like him, sure sounded like him. So we have to understand that in our flesh, uh, we're very fragile. My study tonight says, uh, bruised reed, God won't break. You're, You're now going through a bruised reed time. And God is right there and he's sort of blowing on you, trying to keep that fire lit. But you've got to make the decision by faith, Reuben. You've got to make the decision that you're going to hold on to him because of everything that he's done for you. His track record is perfect. Another suggestion for you is the study I'm doing in Hebrews 11 starting this Friday night. Watch online and 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 really value these promises that God has made and these flawed people that he's used uh, I think God will really, really encourage you. Now, regarding Hebrews, and I, I knew exactly where you're going when you said, especially Hebrews, I said, oh, no, chapter 6. Uh, you know, the enemy has used that uh, to people that aren't really rightly dividing the word to scare them to death all the time. And the problem is we read those three verses 
and we don't go far enough. I want you to look at verse 9 in Hebrews chapter 6. Now, the context here is that Paul is writing to a group of Jewish converts to Christianity. They have been in a prolonged period of, of uh, persecution. Um, Hebrews 10 says that when they were younger in Christ, they gladly accepted even the confiscation of their property. They, they accepted persecution for their faith as a badge of honor. But now they're tired of the persecution and there are Jews who are coming along and saying, look, we'll stop persecuting you. Your life will be easier. Just renounce Christ and come to Judaism. And Paul's whole book is an apologetic on why that doesn't work. And when you get to this Hebrews chapter 6, scares everybody to death. Oh, I can lose my salvation. It's impossible to return. Um, what he's saying is if you turn to idols, if you turn to sacrifices, if you turn to Jewish feasts and festivals, um, there's no forgiveness of sin left, so there's nowhere else to go. But see, then we forget verse 9, when he writes to the people that he's warning here, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're confident of better things, in your case, things that accompany salvation. And I hate that the devil has twisted Hebrews chapter 6 so badly because this is one of those chapters that that emphasizes God's faithfulness even when we are faithless. It emphasizes uh, our security as believers. It emphasizes his nearness to us regardless of what we feel like. So Reuben, I've told you this before and I want you to really take this in deep. I'm confident of better things in your case things that accompany salvation. So stop trying to feel God, open your Bible, and actually hear Him. Read systematically, don't just jump around. Read systematically, discipline yourself to to sit down, spend 30 minutes, and let the Lord speak to your heart. And He'll do that through His Word. And then emotions, goosebumps, feelings, none of that matters because then you're grounded in the never-changing Word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my Word, not a single bit of my Word, will ever fade away. We remember that, Reuben. We'll be in solid, on solid ground. Let me pray real quickly for you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Father, I lift Reuben to you. You can tell he's hurting. He's that bruised reed. Um, Lord, would you blow the breath of life upon him again? Give him strength and assurance of his salvation. More than that, give him the assurance of your steadfast love for him. A love that once given can never be taken away. I pray that Reuben would function according to what he knows instead of how he feels. I pray for his physical body, so many difficulties, Lord. Would you please touch and give him strength and overwhelm him today, Lord, with your love. We're grateful, God, that we can come to you for our friend. Bless Reuben, we ask in your glorious name. Amen. Thank you, Reuben. We'll be praying for you, and I know a lot of the people on this radio program will be doing the same thing as well. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let me go to a question that I'm probably going to take a little bit of time with uh, here. That's from Margaret. And she says, Pastor on how do we combat the growing gender confusion issues that are invading even churches? Um, Margaret, I don't know how satisfying my answer is going to be. Um, but we don't combat the gender confusion issues at all. We stay close to Jesus. Now, the only place that we can wage war, and we can only wage war when the Lord is fighting for us, uh, is in our own homes. So if you've got children, and they're going through these things, or if children that you know, uh, and a child to me is anybody who's still living at home, uh, is confused by all of these things. I said in the program yesterday, whatever the, the nation blesses or makes legal increases exponentially. I mean, a couple of years ago, 
the idea of of, of transgender uh, confusion uh, was um, you know microscopic, and it's just blown up in this world of social media. So Margaret, here's how you can combat it in your own home. You can't combat it anywhere else. You live your life sold out for Jesus Christ. You make sure that your children know that God loves them. You make sure that your children see a mom and dad whose faith and whose walk with him is sustained by Jesus. It's not something you can do. It's not something, uh, a battle that we can fight. But you show them every day that your Jesus is real. You be consistent. You be loving. You be kind. You be gentle. But at the same time, you, you draw a line in the sand and say, this is, this is Jesus' house, and we believe everything that he said. And as they grow up, even if they don't yet believe in your Jesus, they're going to know that you do, and they're going to see the fruit that comes from your life. You are right that this issue, along with homosexuality, is invading the church. However, the churches that would be trapped by these kinds of things blowing in and out of the church uh, isn't really a church at all. It's a place where people gather, but it's not a church that stands on the authority of the Word of God. It's not a church where the hand of God is moving in power in their midst. Because if that were the case, they wouldn't fall away. They wouldn't entertain these ideas. They would would say, Jesus, I'm with you. What you love, I love. What you hate, I'm going to hate. And I'm going to stand for righteousness. And so what we've got is a bunch of apostate churches, churches that in a large part have thrown away the Bible, churches which are allowing the people that Jesus loves to be stumbled. Think about the severity of that. Jesus said, if you make one of my little ones stumble, then it'd be better for you not to have been born or better for you to have been thrown in a deep, dark ocean with a millstone uh, tied around your neck. What we've got to understand here is that this is just the world that we live in. And we've got to raise our children to know Jesus so they can stand with him in this world. We're not of this world, but we're certainly in the world. The world is our mission field. We want to save people. So we shouldn't avoid people. We shouldn't certainly look down our nose at them. What we should do instead is pray for them and share the answer, the hope that we have within. And that's the message that Jesus would communicate here. Go tell them I love them. I want you to think about this, Margaret. These people with gender confusion issues are messing with having been made by God in the image of God. They're basically shaking their fist at God and saying, you know, I know biologically I'm a a man, but I think you made a mistake, God. I'm a woman. I feel like a woman. They're rejecting God's creation. Now, Margaret, these are times where there needs to be clear light. There needs to be a solid voice, a consistent voice. And that has to come from the true church of Jesus Christ. If you are going to a church that is accepting of homosexuality or gender confusion, if they're refusing to tell the truth to people who are confused, then you need to find another church. Lastly, think about this. Kids are confused, period. And when they live in a world and go to a school or they're invested in social media where they get all of the wrong messages, of course they're going to be confused. We sit down with our kids and we tell them, let me unconfuse you. Here's the answer, here's the truth. And tragically, Margaret, these kids aren't finding peace in their newly acquired gender preference. They're killing themselves. They're causing pain to others. Their lives are spiraling out of control. They live their lives to eat, drink, and be merry, have fun, do whatever it is 
that I want to do, we do. The problem is it's not working for them. And we can always be there with the truth of Jesus Christ that never changes. Science changes, people change, Jesus never does. And so the way we combat the growing gender confusion is simply to stand firm in our faith, shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, declaring the truth of God. So, Margaret, these are issues that aren't going to go away. Wouldn't it be great if we could just sort of pray it away and, oh, God, bring revival. And by the way, I pray daily for revival to begin in the homosexual uh, transgender communities. There's a great need, and Jesus is the great answer. So what we do is we pray and we live our lives so the whole world can see who it is we love on whose side we stand. So, Margaret, I hope that makes sense to you. We have 30 minutes to go in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our program remember we'd love your live calls and questions 340-9585 here is a question that comes from jonathan he says i know we are saved by grace but can you apply Matthew six fourteen and 15 for me? Jonathan, these are very severe words. Jesus is speaking. Now remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is giving us a standard aligned with the spirit of the word. Remember the, the, the Pharisees, the Jews of the day, believe that they can live by the letter of the law. Jesus, in the whole Sermon on the Mount, is raising the stakes. Yeah, you think you can keep the law, but here's the way to really be saved. You have to be perfect. And Matthew 6, verse 14 says this, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, that does not mean, Jonathan, that if we have a hard time with somebody and we're temporarily unwilling to forgive them, that we've lost our salvation. It doesn't mean that at all. Jesus is saying, and this is sort of the assumptive close here, he's saying that if you really have had your sins forgiven by my Father in heaven, then you understand you must forgive others. And what he's saying is if you're holding on to unforgiveness, If you're unwilling to forgive those who have sinned against you, how can you lay claim to being a son or a daughter of my father? That's what he's saying. Now, when I teach this passage, Jonathan, I let people know that this is one of those standards, like be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect, uh, and so many others. Um, uh, It doesn't disqualify us from heaven. But this is so serious. We live in a, in a, in a world where uh, people are unwilling to forgive. They, they, this perverse need to hold on to unforgiveness, it actually feels good. Um, Jesus says, if you hold on to that, then what you're doing is identifying as someone who's not my son or not my daughter. And you can't soften verse 15. I never, ever soften that when I'm teaching it. This isn't about eternal security. This isn't about whether or not you can lose your salvation. This just says, if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I think what Jesus is telling us is that the assumption is that any one of us who has been forgiven of the horrible things that we've done will be eager to forgive those who have sinned against us. It's very important we understand that. It's, it's 
an identification mark. I'm a Christian. Why? One way I know I'm a Christian is because I am willing to forgive. Now, John, let me also say this. Um, When I got saved 28 years ago, I was so guilty. Uh, My life had spiraled out of control. I'd caused so much pain to people that the moment I was saved, and if you've heard my story, uh, I fell down on my face on a public street in Upland, California. I got up, and I was able to forgive. And there's not one person in this world that I'm holding unforgiveness toward. Not one person. I say that in the presence of God. There's not a single person. Now, there's been a lot of people who've hurt me, a lot of people that have tried to destroy the work that we're doing here at Calvary Chapel, uh, people that have hurt, people that I care deeply about. But there isn't one person in this world who if they came to me and said, will you forgive me? Not one person that I would say no to. In fact, Jonathan and I've practiced this in my life. I won't even let him get anything out besides, can you ever forgive? Of course you're forgiven. Because I want him to know. In one of the other Gospels, Jesus says that we should pray. Father, forgive my sins as I forgive those who sinned against me. Think about that promise for a moment. If I ask God to forgive me the same way I forgive someone who I'm still holding on unforgiveness toward, well, then I'm saying, okay, Lord, measure your forgiveness the same way. In other words, don't really forgive me, Lord. That's what we're saying. And that's in the Lord's model for prayer. So, uh, Jonathan, this is an important issue to grapple with. But, uh, again, you have to understand the context. You've got to understand the culture to whom Jesus was speaking. You also have to understand the Jewishness of Jesus' ministry. Let me take a minute, not just for Jonathan, but for everybody. Um, You know, a lot of times it's hard for people to say, well, I don't understand the Jewishness, and all I know is this is what the Bible says. It's causing me all kinds of difficulty. Uh, there is a wonderful book by a guy named um, um, Alfred Edersheim. Uh, it's called The Life and Times of the Messiah. Uh, and it deals with all of this stuff. It's not an easy book to read. It's it's a, a, a pretty high scholarly level. But it is a treasure. And nobody should read the ministry of Jesus. Nobody should read the Gospels without having that as an available tool. And you'll be able to really understand and sort of dig in. The other thing about the book that is just so precious is that there's a bibliography in the back that allows you to chase down these things and give you avenues to study. So I hope that helps you. Thank you, Jonathan, for the question. 340-9585. Here is my next question. It comes from Sam. He says, should a song with questionable lyrics be used in a worship service? The answer, Sam, is no. Uh, there are some songs that we do here that I've asked our guys to change the lyrics to in certain spots. It doesn't mean that we're, we're calling the author a heretic. It just says, I don't want that lyric. There's a, a, a song that's so popular, I'm sure it's a um, um, Jesus culture song or a Bethel music song uh, talking about the reckless, the crazy reckless love of God. There's nothing reckless about his love. And so we don't want to use that kind of of terminology. Um, But songs need to be doctrinally correct. How can we worship through music if the doctrine is incorrect? Paul said to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely And the reason he said that is because doctrine matters. What you believe is how you end up living. So if you have questionable doctrine, your life is going to be questionable in terms of producing fruit for the kingdom of God. There's another issue here, Sam, that I think is equally important when it comes to worship. Uh, In most churches, certainly in our church, every time that we open the doors, there are unbelievers here. 
And that sort of raises the stakes in rightly representing God. And the way we rightly represent him is to portray uh, an accurate image of who he is. It's not just a general little G out there somewhere God. He's not the man upstairs. Uh, he's not an angry God. We, we wouldn't sing in a worship song about an angry God. He's not angry. We would want to present the true Jesus, the true God and Savior of our soul. And uh, if worship is going to be worship, then the songs need to be doctrinally solid. The lyrics really, really are important. On sort of a secular note here, Sam, the gym I go to, um, I've asked people there, can you turn down the music or at least change it? Because a lot of the music is really profane. And it's so loud. I, today I told Paul I want to put my fingers in my ears and scream because it makes you angry. Um, and you know, well, no, we, we just, it's the beat. We like the beat. But the lyrics matter. Music is used by God. Music is used by the devil. Lyrics matter. What we take in matters. How much more important is it is it in church than in the world? So thank you, Sam, for the question. Agnes asks, was Mary Magdalene the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8? Um, Agnes, no, she was not the woman caught in adultery. Um, um, I think the Bible makes it clear if you're following Mary's life. Um, but the reason that, that people believe is that's frankly what the Catholic Church tradition has taught for centuries. And it's just wrong. Uh, it's it's um, just wrong. She was not the woman caught in adultery. Now, Mary Magdalene's life was a hard life. She, she was a woman who had seven demons that Jesus cast out. We can't begin to imagine how horrible her life was. But to identify her as the woman caught in adultery is to buy lock, stock, and barrel the, the, the Catholic, the false Catholic teaching um, that is supported only by their tradition and not at all by Scripture. So Mary was not that woman at all. Thanks, Agnes. Here is a question from Joey about another Mary in John chapter 20, or about the same Mary, but another question. John chapter 20, why didn't Jesus want Mary to touch him when he allowed Thomas to touch him? Well, he didn't say to Mary not to touch him. What he said, now we're talking Mary Magdalene, what he said to Mary was, don't cling to me. You can imagine, Joey, the death grip that Mary Magdalene had on Jesus. You know, the whole case of the mistaken identity she thought she was speaking to a gardener. Sir, they've taken away the body of my Lord. If you know where they put him, tell me and I'll go get him. And Jesus was so moved, even though his identity was revealed from her at that moment, he said Mary to her in a way that she knew that who that was. And having watched him die the night before, now remember, Mary Magdalene was the last one at the cross. She was the last one to leave. She was the first one in the morning to get up to go to the tomb. She just wanted to be where Jesus was. She stayed as late as she could where he was at the cross. When she got up in the morning, she wanted to go as quickly as she can to the place where she thought he was. I just wanted to be with Jesus. Imagine how crushed her heart was. And suddenly she can't find him at the tomb. An angel appears and says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And now she can't possibly process all this information. So she assumes that his body's been stolen. When she sees Jesus, you can imagine and realizes it's him, the death grip that she puts him on. And Jesus is simply saying, don't cling to me, for I have to go to my father and your father. And that just meant that he had still work to do. He had an appointment. And the appointment was to go into the lower parts of the earth and set the captives free to proclaim victory, Peter says, to those who were held in that prison, that, that spiritual dungeon. So he wasn't uh, telling, don't touch me. That's not what he was saying at all. He's just saying, don't 
cling to me. Let me go. I've got places to go, people to see. What a great, great moment that was. And by the way, when he appeared to Thomas, he knew what Thomas had been saying. Unless I see the scars, unless I touch them with my own hands, I won't believe. Thomas was without hope. And in that hopeless condition, he didn't dare hope, even though the women were telling him, even though the reports were that that he was alive. But he just couldn't bring himself to hope. And Jesus said, feel, here are my hands, here are my scars, touch. But completely different thing with Mary Magdalene. Good question, Joey, thank you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Sherry wants to know, uh, Pastor Ron, are Deliverance Ministries biblical? Uh, Sherry, they're only biblical in the same sense Satan is biblical. Um, um, We have been delivered once for all at the cross of Christ. Deliverance Ministries, which are casting demons out of Christians or people that say they're Christians are demons uh, of lust or demons of alcohol or demons of cancer. People think, oh, we have to be delivered from these things. Sure, we've already been delivered. Now, you ask the question, and the reason you're asking the question is because the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who wants you to feel secure, the Holy Spirit is letting you know there's something wrong with this. And if we have been delivered once for all, Hebrews says that over and over, once for all, there's no need to be delivered from anything again. Christians cannot be demon-possessed. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Uh, Christians cannot be put under the control of anything other than Jesus unless we uh, do it ourselves, drugs or alcohol or sex or any of the other things, we can make bad choices and our flesh can be enslaved. But for a Christian to think they need to be delivered is a Christian who doesn't really understand what Christ has done for them. So Sherry, no, they're not biblical. Uh, They are part of of a faith, health and wealth, prosperity, gospel. God wants us to be healthy, wealthy and wise. Uh, but they're certainly not biblical. In fact, their message is contrary to the truth revealed to us in Scripture. If you're going to a place or somebody's taking you to a place where they're trying to deliver Christians who've already been delivered, you are in a terribly unhealthy church, an unbalanced, out-of-control church, and you need to leave. You need to leave. Anonymous asks this question, is it logical to believe in God no one has ever seen him. Anonymous, it is logical. It is reasonable. Paul says our faith is reasonable. Um, and the illogical thing is not to believe in him. In the Old Testament, psalmist writes, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day they pour forth speech. There's no nation or language where they're not understood. So the fact that we haven't seen him doesn't mean he hasn't been here. We have overwhelming evidence that God himself has been here. His name is Jesus. So we know for sure that he's visited. We have a record of the miracles he's done. Our God has changed the world in ways that nobody else ever thought of changing the world. So yes, it's logical to believe in God. And I said, a moment ago, it's illogical not to. And the fact that you haven't seen him doesn't make it any less logical. We haven't seen air, yet we breathe it every day. We haven't seen gravity in our own eyes. And yet we can drop something from a ladder, it's going to fall down the ground because of gravity. We can't see atoms but we know they're real. We can't see our DNA. We know that's real. So, the most logical thing, the healthiest thing you can do, Anonymous, is to look at the evidence. I'm not asking you to believe based on blind faith. I'm asking you to look at the evidence. Was Jesus a real person? 
historically we know beyond any doubt that that's true. Did he change the world more than anyone else ever? Though he started with really humble beginnings, the answer is yes. Has he changed people's lives? The answer is a resounding yes. All we have to do is look at the design around us. Summer comes every time it's summer. There are four seasons. The world changes. Only a designer can do that. And that's God. And then I get to the closing argument. Did Jesus die? His story tells us he did. Did he come back to life? Never to die again. The answer is yes. He's alive and seated at the right hand of God. The most illogical thing you can do is not look at that evidence. So I hope that helps. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. Hey, Pastor Ron. I was just thinking about angels and and that God created them. So the Holy Spirit, they must be filled with the Holy Spirit if God created them. And then the ones that fell, they must not have the Holy Spirit anymore. But the ones that are still in heaven, I'm wondering, do they? Do you suppose they sing to God in tongues by any chance? I don't, I don't know where I'm thinking about this, but I just did. So I'll get off the phone and listen to you. Thanks, Cindy. You know, the confusion comes in because we're... 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, If I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, um, in an unfallen heaven, angels will communicate uh, in much the same way that we communicate when we get to heaven, Cindy. Um, Words probably aren't necessary. Um, Certainly we don't know what language it would be, but but the issue of, of, of angels communicating in tongues... Uh, is a non-starter because it's it's certainly not necessary at all. Um, whether they're filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't have any information that would indicate they are. Uh, these are angels, those who attend the throne of God, those who kept their first estate and weren't uh, caught up in, in Satan's deception. Um, you know, they live in the presence of Holy God. So they live with the Holy Spirit not the Spirit in them, they live with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's all they've ever known. We as humans are filled with the Holy Spirit because we still got this battle going on with our flesh. And the only way to overcome the flesh is, is in the power of the Spirit. We sow to the flesh, we reap the, the, the bad fruit of the flesh. If we sow to the Spirit, we reap the good fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit, but the angels do not. Now, relative to the fallen angels, um, they certainly don't have the Holy Spirit. And now, um, except for Satan, as far as we can tell, um, their access to God has been completely cut off. I always think of Adam and Eve after being cast out of the garden. I personally think that at least yearly they would take their sons and daughters to the edge of the garden as far as they could go and talk to their children about the goodness of God, the justice of God, the holiness of God, and say, you know, we were told that we would die. And while we're still alive physically, we died that day. And I would imagine Adam saying to his children, I'm sorry, otherwise we would be in there at the Garden of Eden. So, in the same way, the fallen angels have no access back to God. One other comment about the angels is, is God gave them the free will to make a choice, just like he gives you and me, Cindy, the free will to make a choice. The difference is that their choice was a once and forever choice. Jesus said, too much is given, much is required. The, 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 the context there is much more is required. They were given so much in the presence of holy God and so when they were deceived, it was a one-time thing. They have no opportunity to get back. There's no second chance for repentance. Obviously, for those of us who live 
in these human bodies, we can repent as often as we need to. We can confess our sins, and he will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Not so with the angels. Theirs was a once forever choice. Those who kept their first estate uh, will not fall. They won't be tempted again. And those who didn't, those who fell, um, there's no way back for them. Completely different from his working with humans, but uh, still, um, angels have no need for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Cindy. Let's see if i got a quick question. We're inside about a minute and a half. Uh, here's one I can do quickly. Uh, Reggie says, um, um, Paul addresses a woman pastor in Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Why can't there be female pastors now? Um, Reggie, Paul doesn't address a woman pastor uh, in, in Corinth. Uh, he says, um, uh, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant. The word is diakonos or a deaconess of the church in Centria. So uh, he wasn't addressing her as a pastor at all. Uh, he was acknowledging her faithful service and her role in the office of deacon, deaconess, uh, in the early church, the church that she served in. Uh, so uh, no reference at all to a female pastor. Um, if that were the case, he would have rebuked her for stepping outside of the will of God. Hey, thanks for the questions today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow and tonight, uh, calvaryessay.com at 7 o'clock, um, Isaiah chapter 41 and part of 42. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.